Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good evening, America, people of the mountains and the West. I am Matthew Kennerly. Um, we did not have a podcast this weekend, Jeremy and I, because he has been out of commission for most of, I think it's been about a week now. So he asked me to do a Facebook video for everybody's benefit, uh, because of course there has been stuff going on, sickness or no sickness, someone's got to talk about everything. So we are doing this Facebook live video. Um, you can... You can ask questions here. You can find me on Twitter at, at MattK underscore FS. But mostly I'm just going to be doing kind of a recap of, you know, some senior bowl stuff of, you know, kind of looking forward a little bit to some of the storylines going into National Signing Day, which is a couple days away. But, you know, I figured I would mostly approach it like some kind of like mini roundup of goings on from around the conference. I tried to find some things to talk about from just about every team with apologies to, you know, a couple of programs, Utah State and Wyoming don't have a lot going on right now, admittedly, and, you know, neither does my Fresno State Bulldogs. But, you know, we'll talk about this and that, and of course, you're more than welcome to be a part of the conversation if you'd like to be. Um, but we'll start at the top. Um, let's talk about the Poinsettia Bowl, first of all, because they announced that they were going to be shutting down, and... I'm wondering what the next move for the Mountain West Conference is. Like, I know that Jeremy and I have talked about in the past, you know, what we want our conference postseason matchups to look like. And for the most part, I think that I'm in favor of trying to foster greater ties with something like the American Conference. Like, we all watched the Las Vegas Bowl last December, and... You know, for about two and a half quarters, it was a really good, really compelling game. And I think that there's something to be said for, you know, being able to vie for superiority among, you know, conferences outside of the Power Five. Because, I mean, you could try to craft another Vegas Bowl type of thing where you would have, you know, the conference champion versus like the sixth best team in the, in the Pac-12. But is that really that much different than trying to get the second or the third best team from the American, for example? Like, you know, would you have rather played someone like Utah last year? Or would you rather have played someone like Memphis or South Florida? Because I think that there's more of a catch it now for beating one of those teams in the American than there would have been two years ago. Because we all saw from the other side of the country how... Maybe there is bad service in Fresno. I apologize. Um, I was trying to adjust my laptops. Light overhead wasn't in the way. But, you know, I think we all saw how, you know, there were, what, three or four really good teams vying for attention, vying for the conference championship in the American Conference. So I think it would behoove Craig Thompson and the rest of the conference to try and at least foster one of those matchups with, you know, the third or fourth best team in the American, because I think that there's nothing wrong with that. That's for me personally, what I think the best move for the Mountain West would be. I 
definitely curious to hear everybody else's thoughts about that. Um, okay, so let's move on, I guess, to the Senior Bowl because that was, you know, the other big thing going on this past weekend. Not that much going on with the Mountain West, but there were a couple of compelling storylines that I think really arose from it from the guys who were there. You know, we've been hearing a lot about Jalen Robinette from Air Force in the last week or so, what his future in the NFL is going to look like. And when I was doing some research for this, I was really interested in what kind of comparisons were being thrown out there for Jalen Robinette, because we know he's a big guy. We know he's an athletic guy. We know he can go up and get passes. We know he can block, which I think is useful, uh, especially for an NFL wide receiver. But I was curious as to how people were seeing him, how they were possibly projecting him. And there were a couple of really interesting names that were being thrown out there. Um, one guy, I think that was meant to be like kind of the best case scenario, minus the drug use, hopefully, is Martavis Bryant. You know, obviously he missed an entire year, but that dude is kind of a physical freak who can like go up and get passes. He's like an, the ultimate deep threat in Pittsburgh once he gets back into good standing out there. On the flip side, another name that I thought was really interesting, which when you think about it, isn't really all that different from the situation that Robinette himself is coming from, is a guy like Stephen Hill, who if you remember from, it must've been like five or six years ago, he was kind of Calvin Johnson after Calvin Johnson at Georgia Tech, but the Jets took a second round draft pick on him and he never quite panned out the way that they hoped. You know, he ended up being more one-dimensional, just kind of a big dude who could run in straight lines. Obviously, I think Robinette is probably a little bit better than that. And I think that, you know, if you start looking around at some of the other NFL blogs on SB Nation, like I know that, you know, Bleeding Green Nation, which is the Philadelphia Eagles one, they seem to be very optimistic about Robinette. And I don't think that a lot of Eagles fans would complain if he ended up in their draft class. But it's going to be really interesting to see how he shakes out because he acquitted himself very well at the Shrine Bowl. And, you know, they had nothing but good things to say about him at the Senior Bowl. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. More importantly, though, were the two guys from San Diego State who were at the Senior Bowl. And the question I would have for everybody, I'm
Okay, I apologize for the internet issues. Apparently, I feel like I should blame Trump for this because we've been blaming, you know, a lot of people have been blaming Obama for the last eight years for every problem in their lives. I've had a couple, <laughs> it seems like the internet's been in and out for the last week. So apologies for that. But my question to you, and I'm curious to get everybody's feedback on this, is who benefited more among the two Aztecs who were at the Senior Bowl? Was it Donnell Pumphrey or was it DeMonte Casey? Because, you know, from going back and looking at the game and from reviewing what people had to say uh, after the game and about the practices throughout the week, you know, as good as Pumphrey was on the college level, it seems like the consensus is that he's got a few more obstacles to overcome than someone like Casey does. And Casey really got rave reviews, not only for practice, but for in-game play at the Senior Bowl. You know, it seemed like he was getting a lot of high praise for both his abilities in man and zone coverage. And for as good as the Aztecs' secondary has been in, you know, gosh, like the last, you know, four, five, six years... You know, the success that they've had among their college athletes in San Diego hasn't quite translated to the NFL per se, it is, but it seems like Casey might be the guy to break through. And, you know, honestly, I've s I saw enough of him over the last couple of years to think that he's, you know, if he does well at the combine, especially, first of all, it'll be interesting to see how much he does at the combine. But, you know, if he acquits himself there pretty well and at the pro day, it wouldn't surprise me if he were like a second round pick, you know, um, obviously, you know, quarterback is probably one of the more, you know, one of the positions of strength in this draft. I know that defensive line is one. I think quarterback is another because you're not only talking about guys like DeMonte Casey, but, you know, Jordan Lewis is going to be in that conversation. Desmond King from Iowa is going to be in that situation. You know, Rasul Douglas had a lot of good things to say, you know, that were said about him throughout the week. But Casey, you know, to his credit, was one of the guys that Mike Mayock, of all people, said was one of the 10 athletes that stood out during the Senior Bowl. On the flip side, you know, not to say that Pumphrey had a bad performance, had a bad week in mobile, but, you know, I think, you know, it's first and foremost, you can't teach size. And that's going to be the one thing that fairly or unfairly stays with him as he goes into the combine, as he goes to, into his own pro day. But, you know, to his credit, he was willing to get out there and be a, try and be a factor on special teams. And, you know, if he can carve out a role for himself like a Darren Sproles, I think that that would be perfect for him. Like, we know that he's an excellent pass catcher. But, you know, especially in the last couple of years when he was more or less San Diego State's feature back, he didn't really see those reps on special teams. They were, you know, mostly handled by Rashad Penny. So... You know, if he shows a willingness to do it, and it seems like, especially in-game, you know, he had a couple of nice plays. He had the one punt return that was like 20, 25 yards. That's going to make a difference for him because, you know, he's got the requisite speed, I think, to be a quality running back. The size thing is probably going to linger with him, though, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what his performance is going forward look like and how that affects his draft stock. If... I were an NFL person, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who would be a third round steal, you know, because it's not like running back is incredibly deep in this year's draft, but, you know, we'll wait and see on that. But personally, you know, I think KZ probably had a better, a better week in mobile than Pumphrey did. 
and we'll see how it goes going forward. Um, of course, you're more than welcome to throw in questions if anybody wants to talk about anything in particular. Um, but we'll move on to Boise State. Um, one thing that's been in the news, at least in the last week or so, is dealing with scheduling. You know, I saw a really interesting article from the Idaho Press that talked about how, you know, they make a lot of money off of those late kickoffs because they have the ability to be on ESPN and ESPN2. They get like about a half a million dollars every time they're on that kind of national television stage. But, you know, considering the nature of the college football beast, you know, it's affected ticket sales in Boise and it's affected season ticket sales in particular. And a lot of fans aren't happy, which, you know, I don't blame them. I, I'm out in California, so I get a nice 7.15 start time for those games whenever I want to watch them. But when you're in Boise and you're dealing with an 8 or 8.15 start, then it starts to make a lot of difference because then you're dealing with like football games that are over at 11.30 or midnight or something like that. And then, of course, if you have to commute home, then you're probably not home till like, what, 12.30 or 1 o'clock or something like that. So if you're a Boise fan, what do you do? Do you try and stick with it? Or do you, you know, make some concessions for your fan base? And it's really interesting looking at what the financials are because, you know, they get the half a million for an 8 o'clock start time on a Saturday. But they do get 300000 every time that they kick off anytime that's not a Saturday night on either ESPN, ESPN2, or ABC. And they don't get any kind of bonus at all if they're on something like ESPNU or ESPN News or something like that. So if you're a Boise fan, I definitely encourage you to chime in. Like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer that the program gets money but has to deal with late kickoffs? Or do you prefer an earlier kickoff for your own benefit? Um, I know that they're already talking about moving the season opener against Troy to a more you know, fan-friendly time in September, it's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out. You know, for me personally, you know, I was at Bulldog Stadium, you know, a lot last year, and it's not like it was necessarily fun football to watch, and I was getting home at like 11.30 at night watching a bad team. I imagine it's a little bit different when your team is winning 10 games year after year, but, you know, I think that if it were me personally as a fan, I don't necessarily want to be at a football stadium until 12 o'clock. So yeah, feel free to chime in on that. Are you with trying to get earlier kick times or are you okay with it? And, you know, maybe going to bed a little bit early before the you know games end or something like that. Okay. So let's move on to actually, this is also another kind of Boise thing, which I think is really interesting. Former Fresno State offensive coordinator Eric Kiesau has gone to Boise, and you know we know National Signing Day is a couple days away, and it seems like he's made kind of a big difference. He's already brought in, at least in the last you know, 48 hours or so, two different three-star wide receiver recruits. You know, um, Octavius Evans was a guy, I believe, from... I forget exactly where he's from, but, you know, Damon Cole especially was a guy who was targeted, I think, by at least three different Mountain West programs. I know Nevada was in on him. I know Fresno State was in on him. And, you know, Kisau is interesting because last year, obviously, here in the Valley, it wasn't necessarily a success by any stretch, really. He didn't really perform all that well as a play caller, but 
you know, he has experience with working exclusively with wide receivers in the past. And as we've talked about on past podcasts with Jeremy, you know, the wide receivers at Fresno State this last year were probably like the one big shining unit that they had on the entire team. And now all of a sudden he goes to Boise, you know, Fresno State's arch rival, and he's pulling in fairly well-regarded athletes. And so, you know, I'm wondering, first of all, how Fresno State fans feel about that kind of immediate dividend that's being paid. And, you know, whether Boise State fans are satisfied with that kind of immediate impact, whether maybe they were expecting a little bit more. You know, because if you look at the recruiting rankings right now, you know, depending on which one you look at, the difference between Boise and the other teams in the conference either is very narrow or, you know, pretty healthy. You know, if you look at scout.com, for instance, it seems like they have a pretty fair leg up on someone like Colorado State, who is ranked second in the conference there. But if you look at, you know, 24-7 sports, on the other hand, the difference seems to be a little bit closer. They seem almost to be neck and neck. So I'm interested in whether you think, you know, Kisao is going to be able to bring in maybe one more offensive guy before National Signing Day. Um, it seems like a lot of Boise State fans on Twitter expect to see one or two more big gets before Wednesday. Um, but I think it's interesting that he's gone in there and, you know, maybe he won't be a play caller. Maybe he's not going to be 100% responsible for the offense. But, you know, if he can bring in receivers and develop receivers, that's going to be a huge win for the Broncos, which, surprise, surprise, it seems to be what they do a lot of these days. Um, you know, on the flip side, speaking of Colorado State, you know, they're right there with the Broncos for that number one spot on National Signing Day in the Mountain West. And, you know, among Rams fans, it seemed to be a very big deal in the last couple of days that they lost a couple of big recruits of their own. You know, they weren't able to close the deal with David Porter. He ended up going to Arkansas. You know, they weren't able to close the deal with Jamal Gates, who ended up at Florida International. But, you know, if you try to reframe that picture a little bit, I think, you know, you can probably be encouraged by what Colorado State is doing because they're trying to go to different places. They're basically going into SEC country and trying to pull these guys out, you know, um, not just any... Mountain West team goes to Florida and tries to land a three-star athlete. You know, maybe Boise State does it every once in a great while. But I think that's a testament to Mike Bobo and his staff that, you know, they can at least be in the running. You know, obviously losing losing a recruit to Florida International hurts. You know, but they got that arms race going on at the Conference USA now between what, Lane Kiffin and everybody else who ended up in, in South Florida these days. Um, but I mean, you're losing, if you're losing a guy like Porter to Arkansas, you know, it's not like you're losing a guy to another Mountain West team. So, you know, if I were a Colorado State fan, I would probably take some solace in that. You know, there's a couple days left, maybe they can land one more, but you know, compared to what Colorado State was doing last year, for example, or two years ago, you know, they've basically knocked this recruiting cycle out of the park, you know, because... I'm trying to look up what they were doing, you know, to, you know, in 2016 with their class, you know, Boise state's class isn't quite as good in the scout rankings as it was last year. Last year, they were just inside the top 50, but you know, Colorado state, I think has moved up at least a half a dozen spots nationally. So I think that's a good sign. Um, 
on the flip side, you know, talking about a team that maybe you didn't expect to hear a lot about come National Signing Day, San Jose State, because it's interesting to look at what the rankings have to say about what the Spartans have done in this recruiting cycle. You know, we haven't heard a lot from them. You know, um, admittedly, we don't write as much about San Jose State as we would like. But, you know, Brent Brennan has come in and very quietly has done a pretty solid job of building a very nice recruiting class. And depending on which service you decide to trust, you know, Scout has them sixth, which, you know, in itself might seem like kind of a surprise at first glance. But, you know, if you go to 24-7 Sports, what you see is, you know, it was, I'm trying to see when it was updated. It was updated at 6 o'clock today, so about 90 minutes ago. And, you know, obviously they have different measures. They include different recruits that, you know, one service includes that the other one doesn't. But according to 24-7 Sports, San Jose State is fourth in the Mountain West, which to me is very very interesting because you know one of the things about the Ron Carragher era especially is that they always recruited pretty well better than you might expect San Jose State to recruit but you know the the, the guys they were bringing in just never necessarily translated to the win-loss column like Spartan fans would have liked but you know within the last eight days or so since the 22nd what san jose state's done is they've brought in at least according to scout six different three-star guys and you know a lot of those guys could be impact players on the san jose state defense within a couple of years which you know we've talked for years it seems like about the, the issues they've had stopping the run and you know the spartans but you know they've got a three-star guy and Side linebacker Tyson Parker, who just committed two days ago. You know, they got Trey White, who committed last week. He's a cornerback who could be the next in a line of pretty good, you know, secondary players and in San Jose these days. You know, they got, you know, a fairly nice, you know, three-star recruit in Jamar Hardy, who's a, you know, three-star defensive tackle. So, you know, they're making moves in San Jose, and, you know, Jeremy and I, I think, will probably talk about this more when we sit down to podcast when he's back to 100%, but keep an eye on San Jose. They've surprised, you know, they surprised me, let's put it that way. So, you know, maybe they win a couple of recruiting battles we don't expect. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out on that. Let's see, what else is there to talk about? Um, some scheduling things, which I think is kind of interesting. Um this is from, I think, like last week. I haven't had a chance to talk about it with anybody. The fact that Hawaii and Vanderbilt scheduled a home-to-home. Um, it's another one of those deals where it's not going to happen until, you know, 2022 and 2023. But, you know, if you look at what the Warriors are doing in their non-conference schedule in the next five years, being able to schedule any kind of home game with a Power 5 team is actually a really huge deal like i went through and i looked at what their non-conference schedules look like you know and i would you, if you want to look at it yourself you can go to fb fbschedules.com but you know vanderbilt's going to be coming in 2022 to the big island and the only other power five team coming to the islands between now and then are two home games in 2019 they've got arizona 
and they've got Oregon State. And I feel like this is really important, especially for Hawaii, just because of the fact that, you know, it's really hard to get a lot of teams to commit to make that trip. Like, it's easy, for example, for, you know, Northwestern to rope Nevada into like a million and a half dollar deal. It's easy for Fresno State to make like six different trips to Southern California over the next half dozen years without any kind of return trip. So to me, the fact that they were able to lock down this kind of agreement with a fairly decent Vandy team, like obviously, you know, I'm not even going to pretend to know what the Commodores are going to look like five years from now, but, you know, it's been a while since they've had an SEC team, I think, come to the Big Island. So it's kind of a big deal, I think, for Rolovich trying to build this program, trying to, you know, give his athletes an opportunity to, you know, try to grab some big wins down the line. So I think that's a very nice move for them. Um, some other scheduling news, UNLV apparently rounded out their non-conference schedule by scheduling Howard for next year. Um, and I believe that's going to be their season opener. So if you look at what the Rebels non-conference schedule as a whole looks like, what you've got is you've got home game versus Howard, who of course is an FCS team. They're, you know, pretty forgettable they've got a home game against BYU late in the year and then they travel to Idaho and to Ohio State and obviously you know going to Buckeye Stadium is probably a loss no matter you know what kind of fever dream Rebels fans might be living in but you know are they going to be good enough are they going to be healthy enough to beat BYU next year you know obviously they're probably going to beat Howard Idaho ended up a lot better than a lot of teams expected, you know, but maybe they were a little bit lucky. Maybe, you know, we all watched the potato bowl. How do we know how much of that is sustainable going into 2017? That's going to be interesting to watch. Like if you had to grade what UNLV's non-conference schedule, you know, what kind of grade would you give it? Like personally, I feel like it's okay. I'd probably give it like a C plus because, I've wanted to write an article about how you know, Mountain West teams in particular, and especially the Mountain West teams that want to compete for that New Year's Bowl game, that they should really stop scheduling FCS teams. But for a team like UNLV that's still in the middle of, you know, they're still in the middle of this rebuilding process. Obviously last year was, you know, a little bit of a setback. You know, a lot of that was driven by injury luck, especially at positions like quarterback and wide receiver. But, you know, I think the fact that they gave Tony Sanchez an extension, first of all, is a, you know, I think that's a good move personally, because I feel like he's got them trending in the right direction. You know, they're another one of those teams that's still very competitive with regards to, you know, recruiting in this cycle. Like, you know, they've taken a tumble down the 24-7 rankings, but, you know, they've still got some spaces left before National Sign needed to bring in a couple of guys. Um and they're going to get their quarterback next year, probably Armani Rodgers. Of course, we'll see what that looks like in the spring and stuff like that. But I think UNLV is still headed in the right direction. And I feel like, you know, scheduling a team like Howard is going to be a good move. Um, let's see if there's anything else I missed. I don't think that there is. I wasn't expecting this to be this long, to be honest. Um, if anybody has any questions, of course, you feel free to throw them out there. Um... Although it doesn't seem like anybody is. So I think I'm just going to wrap this up. And 
in the meantime, I would say keep an eye out. I think Jeremy, fingers crossed, will be back with, you know, he'll be back on the podcast hopefully by Wednesday. If not, we'll probably record Thursday night and have a more complete recap of National Signing Day. Um, of course, stay tuned to the Twitter. We will be retweeting commitments as we have been over the last few weeks as we see them. And of course, if if we happen to miss some of them, feel free to tag us and then we will pass that along to our readership on there. And of course, stay tuned to the website, mwcconnection.com. We will have, you know, kind of breakdowns team by team of what National Signing Day looks like. And of course, we'll keep you abreast of any other developments. It is the off season. We're all in it together. But, you know, look on the bright side. I think there's only about 200 days left until kickoff. So I think I'll just leave it at there. Uh, It's almost half an hour, so we'll talk to everybody later. Of course, you can find me at MattK underscore FS on Twitter, Mountain West Connection at MWC Connection. If you don't subscribe to the podcast already, you should do that. iTunes, Pocket Casts, Google Casts, whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. Um, Rate and review us because we like that. And I will talk to everybody uh, pretty soon. Take it easy.